Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, it's Ephesians chapter 5, beginning of verse 1 tonight. Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> it's been quite a journey through the book of Ephesians. Um, um, we're here in our third week of the practical section of, of uh, Ephesians. The first half is more doctrinal, where um, Paul is telling us the, the, uh, what God has done in Christ Jesus. He, he, he begins the address saying, to the saints who are in Ephesus. He's talking to the believers there. If you're a believer, God calls you a saint. You're holy if you believe, if you trust in Jesus. He says that we've been predestined according uh, to... I can't even think. He says we've been predestined for glory, basically. He, we've been predestined uh, to the adoption as sons, as, of sons... And one day, He's going to present us before the Father, perfect and blameless. That is our hope that, we, that He's called us to. Uh, he, he, he says that we have been brought from death into life. That's, that's true about believers. It's, it's what's true about us. If we're trusting in Jesus, if we've been born again, we've gone from death into life. We've been adopted as sons. All of those things. And, and He is torn down the hostility that's between Jew and Gentile, bringing both together into one new man. All of those things that God has done in Christ Jesus that He explains in the first part. I have to keep reminding us of this because the second half of the book is full of commands. It's full of, this is how we should live. And it's important to remind us of the first part Because He's not telling us, do these things so that you can get saved. He's not telling us, live in this way so that God will accept you. He's telling us, on the basis of what God has done in saving you, because He's brought you, if you're a believer, because He's brought you from death into life, then walk this way. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. That's how he begins in chapter 4. He calls the church to unity. And he also tells us, as we looked at last week, put off that old man and put on the new. He, He talks about the old man as kind of a garment. We keep putting that old... When we get dressed in the morning, sometimes if we don't get up and read our Bible and things like that, if we, don't, if we don't have the right frame of mind, we'll just put on that old clothes, that old man that we used to be and go throughout our day. But Paul here is telling us, put off that old man. Don't do that anymore. Don't live like you used to live. He's continuing on with the same kind of idea, but there's a connection here to the last verse of what we looked at last week. Last week, the very last verse was forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. 
So we, we, we talked about how the, the, the basis for how we can forgive one another. When somebody hurts my feelings, when somebody offends me, how can I forgive them? It's because I've been forgiven so much in Jesus. It's because He's forgiven me of such an enormous debt because of my sin. And then we imitate what He's done for us. We forgive because Christ has forgiven us. There he jumps right into chapter 5 by telling us to imitate God. We're going to go ahead and look at this. And there, there, are, there are a lot of things that we, I, could, I could talk about. I, in fact, what I'm talking about tonight, I think I could probably get three or four sermons out of. But we're just going to try to get it into one, uh, which sometimes backfires on me. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to go long. But um, I think everything can fit under the heading of be imitators of God as beloved children. So let's look at our text, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. There, let there be no filthiness, or, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of, God, of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, Addressing one another in psalms and in hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to obey it. We pray that you would shine your light upon us. Lord, if there be any 
wicked way in us. Lord, that you would expose that to us so that we can confess it, repent it, repent of it, and live in the light of the gospel. Live in the light of your truth. Father, I pray that you would give me strength and give me grace as I preach your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Isn't it the case that children so oftentimes act like their parents? That can be a good thing, right? Uh, you know, and it's the way that uh, that children would learn a trade as they would grow up back in, in this time. You know, you can just imagine Jesus was the carpenter's son. And you can imagine Jesus as he was a little boy in his father's shop just watching his father do the work of a carpenter. And Jesus just picking this trade up. And you can, you can think of it in terms of human history. Up until the present time, most people did what their fa- most men did what their fathers did, right? They would watch them, they would learn from them until they came to a point whenever they took over the family business. As beloved children, we're to imitate our fathers. Sometimes, sometimes that's not necessarily a good thing, is it? Sometimes, especially when you get married, you hear that uh, you're acting just like you're... <laughs> Or we might see things in our children that we wish they weren't doing, and we know they got it from us. But God is all perfect. He is, he is perfect in every way. And He tells us as believers to imitate Him. Again, He's not telling us to imitate Him because... Or, I'm sorry. He's not telling us to imitate Him so that we might become His children. Look at that. As beloved children. Because we already are His children. If you've trusted in Jesus, if you have been born again, you're one of His children. And so, we ought to live like it. We ought to imitate Him just like as a natural child will, will imitate their own parents. We've been adopted as sons, as chapter 1 told us. We are in God's family, and so we ought to act like those who are in His family. He tells us, in order to do this, we walk in love. And we can look back to chapter 4, verse 1. That was the turning point in the book. He told us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called. And if we're going to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling with which we've been called, Paul here tells us to walk, same verb there, walk in love. And again, it's a way that we're imitating God. It says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus went to the cross for us. God demonstrated His love so much that He he sent His own Son to die in our place. He, He gave Himself up for us. This love that God has demonstrated ought to be something that gives us a picture. You know, if we want to know how to do something, we need a picture. We need a diagram. We need we need something to show us what to do. We don't want to just sit down and read text about how to live the Christian life. We want to see it. We need examples. 
And Jesus is that greatest example because he left heaven and came down to earth and he lived a sinless life and he gave his life for us. Because of this great love, we then walk in love. This is very positive up to this point. But now he turns the corner. The rest of this text, uh, well, at least up to verse 14, seems to be contrasting two things. What not to do to be an imitator of God. He begins with, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you as is proper among saints. He names these three different activities, these three different sins that he says, they shouldn't even be named among God's people. They shouldn't even be named. Um, that, that is a very strong way of saying, I don't want to see it. <laughs> this is not what should characterize my people. This is what you used to be like. But you've, been, you've come from death into life. Now you're a new person. So, turn away from those things. He says, um, the three things he names are sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. Notice that the first two are pretty clear. And we get that. Sexual immorality, of course. We don't want the church to be filled up with sexual immorality. And then he says covetousness. He puts that on the same level. (laughs) Covetousness. Do you think, what is covetousness? It's when we want something that's not ours. It's when we, we have desires for things that's not, that are not rightly ours. Paul here calls covetousness idolatry. We're, we're desiring and we're greedy and we're wanting something so much that we're lifting that thing above God. It, it becomes an idol in that way. Um, the word here for sexual immorality uh, the, the Greek term there, it's a, it's a kind of a catch-all term when it comes to sexual sins. Um, it can be used to speak of um, activity with a prostitute. But it's actually a general term that can, that can use, mean all kinds of things. Any kind of sexual sin can fall under that term for sexual immorality. God wants us to have nothing to do with that. It must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. The motivation there that he gives, it's not proper among saints. If you're a believer, remember chapter 1, verse 1 said, to the saints in Ephesus, we're saints, we're holy. It's not proper for those who God has called holy to engage in sexual immorality or greedy covetousness. It's just not proper. So, he says to put those things aside. Verse 4, Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking. Those things all have to do with speech. Just having a a filthy way of talking and just uh, dirty jokes and things like that. He says those things are not fitting for believers. We ought not to be participating in those things. We might go to work and we hear somebody, we have a choice. Are we going to join in with that? Or are we going to say, 
I'm not going to have anything to do with that. God has changed me. He's called me a saint. That's not fitting for me. Instead, he tells us to be thankful. We can do one of the one of the other of those things with our mouths. We can be filthy. We can be uh, just um, careless with our tongue and, and, and joining in with the crowd whenever they're talking about things that are not pleasing to God. Or we can open our mouths with thankfulness. We can pray to Him and give, give Him thanks for what He's done for us. Verse 5, For you may be sure of this, He talked about the activity first. Then he moves to speech-related things. Now he's talking about the persons themselves. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Those are some strong words. Those are some very strong words. No inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. What has He told us about believers in chapter 1? He told us we have an inheritance that we look forward to. We have an inheritance. We obtain all the promises that are, in God, uh, that are of God. So if we're a believer, we're not to partake in those things. Sexual immorality, impurity, and uh, covetousness. Because those who may, are characterized like that, those who have lives that are characterized by that sexual immorality, that covetousness, that greed, they the text says, have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. I want to remind us of something. Chapter 2 says, He brought us from death into life. We used to be dead in our trespasses and sins. We used to walk in, in the way that the rest of the world did, being carried about by our desires, by, by our fleshly desires. That's what we used to be. And so, when we look at a text like this in chapter 5, the things that he's telling us we're not to be a part of are things that we very well may have been a part of before we came to Christ. They're not things that are unforgivable, but they're things that as believers, we put all of our effort into avoiding and going away from as we put off that old man and put on the new. Also, I want to point out, there's a big difference between having a life that is completely characterized as, as a lost person who does not even care, who, who, just, who lives that way because it's just as easy as breathing, and being a believer who knows and who admits that it's sin and who, who struggles and fights and sometimes may fall but continues to get up and repent. There's a vast difference between those two things. 
Paul warns in verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. He warns us strongly. The sons of disobedience. Here he's contrasting here. He told us we are to imitate God as beloved children. And then he contrasts us with the sons of disobedience. Those that we used to be a part of before we came to know Jesus. Before he saved us and brought us from death into life. We used to be a part of the sons of, of disobedience. But he says that the wrath of God is coming upon those sons of disobedience because of these things. He tells us not to be deceived. You know, there are voices out there in our society today telling us, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, it's okay. Everybody does that. Oh, it's just a small thing. It doesn't matter what you do in the privacy of your own home in the privacy of your own bedroom, between two consenting adults. Oh, those are small things. We need to be more concerned about justice issues, not sexual issues. Paul tells us, don't be deceived by these empty words. Don't be deceived by them. There are people even who who claim to be Christians who water this down and who who have become accepting of things like the LGBT agenda. LGBTQ or whatever. Uh, I had a Facebook conversation with someone who blanketly said, well, yeah, but sexual... Well, I, I questioned them on it. Would you say that homosexuality is a form of sexual immorality. And they said no. They did not even believe that homosexuality was a form of sexual immorality. Porneia, that, that, that Greek term that talks about sexual immorality, it's across the board. What, what some will try to deceive us with, with empty words, they'll come in and say, well, you know, back in the ancient world, what Paul was condemning when he talked about homosexuality must have been um, master-slave relationships where there, were, where there was a, a, a balance of power, an imbalance of power where, where there's someone being abused or something. That's what they will try to tell you. And they'll say, well, things are different today because you have these consenting relationships between... It's hogwash. It's empty words. That is the kind of thing that people will try to captivate us with and, and will we'll try to deceive us with these empty words. Have none of it. All sexual immorality. And, and by that, that's both heterosexual and homosexual. That is anything outside of a, uh, a marriage between a man and a woman. One man and one woman. Everything outside of that is sexual immorality. Paul tells us as believers to have nothing to do with that. To flee from that. I will remind us though in another book that Paul wrote. He said, and such were some of you, but you were washed. There's still grace. That is not some kind of an unpardonable sin that you can never be forgiven of. No, come to the cross. Come to Him Admit that it's sin. Run from it. Flee from it. 
and throw yourself on Jesus' mercy. In doing so, we turn away from that old man and we imitate God. Verse 7, Therefore do not become partakers with them. He warns us, don't, don't, even, don't even share with these people. Don't, don't become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. He's talking about that change that took place in us. The basis. How can we live this kind of life? How can we live a life of sexual purity as opposed to impurity, immorality? How can we live a life that is imitating God? Because He's changed us from darkness into light. That's what gives us the fuel, the power to be able to live that kind of life. He's brought us from death into life. He's changed us from darkness into light. He says, You were once darkness, and now you are light in the Lord. Walk then as children of the light. He's changed us into light. And again, he's got this father-son idea here. He tells us in the beginning, as beloved children, we're to imitate God. Here he says we're to walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. We're God's children. We have been changed. And so we are to live as those who live in the light. Um, Verse 10. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. He says something very similar across the page. Maybe it is in my Bible. In a... In verse 17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And here he had said, And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. It takes wisdom to follow Jesus. It takes wisdom to imitate God. The Bible gives certain parameters It gives us a clear set of instructions on how we are to live, but it doesn't address every single situation. And sometimes we've got to have wisdom. We've got to have wisdom. We've got to pray and and pray that God will help us and show us what we are to do. He tells us to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Talking about that sexual immorality, that greed. Take no part in those unfruitful works. He calls it unfruitful. It's empty. It's worthless. Don't have any part in it. But instead, he says, expose them. That's what the light does. You shine a flashlight on something, it exposes everything. What happens when you walk into a dark room at night with a flashlight? Maybe not at your house, but some places. You walk into a dark room with a flashlight and it shines and what you, there's cockroaches all over the ground and they just scatter. Yeah, they scatter. They don't want to be seen. Paul here says, Have, take no part in those unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. It's shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. Does this contradict 
First he says, expose them. Then he says, it's shameful even to speak of them. Just think about that for a second. If, if we're supposed to expose... If they're, if they're shameful even to speak about them, how then do we expose them? I think whenever he's using that language, it's shameful even to speak of them. He's, he's saying, these are things that bring shame on people. We don't even want to talk about them. But at the same time, he's, he says for us to shine the light of the gospel on them. I don't think what he's saying here, whenever it says expose them, is to go out and, and shame people for their sin. That's, that's not, I think, what he's saying. And the reason I don't think that is because of the following verses here. Let's look at that. <clears throat> but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Think about that. When you go into a dark room and you're looking for something and you shine a light on it, when it becomes visible, does that become light? Like when, when, you're, when you're shining a flashlight on your keys that you're looking for in the dark, does the keys become light? I think he's talking about how the light of the gospel actually changes us from darkness into light. When the light of the gospel comes upon us, like when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, when the light comes and shines upon us, we become we go from darkness to light. He shines upon us and we're changed from the inside out. He says, therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It sets this off in, in my Bible, I don't know if it does in everyone's, as a kind of a quotation. And it, of course it says, therefore it says. If you look it up, you won't find it in the Old Testament. It's not quoting an Old Testament verse. Um, it could be based on an Old Testament verse. In fact, the passage that I had Jane read, um, it sounds kind of similar to the beginning of it, but it's not a, a word-for-word quotation. And in fact, the fact that it says, and Christ will shine on you, probably rules it out from being anywhere in the Old Testament. They didn't know yet Jesus. Instead, um, they, most scholars would say this was probably an early hymn that the early church would sing. And so his audience, as, as, uh, as Paul was writing this, his audience would have known that. They probably would have been familiar with this song. And he he quotes it and just says, Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We've got a song like that. Um, Maybe uh, Wesley's song that says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, um, fast bound in sin and and, uh, nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I rose, went forth, and... Well, I'm getting all confused. (laughs) Trying to remember this hymn off the top of my head. But basically, we sing similar songs. It's about the same idea about the light of Christ shining down on us when we rise and we go forth and we follow Jesus. The chains fall off and we follow Jesus. When we are to go and expose those deeds of darkness, I don't think we are to go to the lost and, and the, the just shame them in the public and, 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 and 
you know, write newspaper articles against them and things like that. No, that's not what we're called to do as believers. Instead, we share the gospel with them and the gospel exposes their sin. When, the go- when we share the gospel about how Jesus came and He lived a sinless life and, and He has done all these things for us, how he, he, he died upon the cross and He rose again and what we need to do is confess our sins and, and repent of them and turn to Him, that brings an exposure. And the response then of the unbeliever is to then repent and turn to Christ. And they become light. Like I said, there's a lot in this text and it could have become it could have been three or four sermons. <laughs> Though it does all fit under the heading be imitators of God. We look at the final section here beginning in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. I just got to reading it and I just kept going. (laughs) I must be getting tired up here or something. Okay. Um, Look carefully then how you walk, not as as unwise, but as wise. This is one way that we imitate God as beloved children. The Proverbs... um, commend wisdom. Wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we want to imitate God, then what we're going to do is we're going to be wise about how we spend our time. He says, make the best use of your time or redeem the time because the days are evil. We live in an evil age where where we look out at the world and and there's so much that's affected by the curse there's so much sin that's out there and there's so much sin that's within us as well paul here commands us what are we to do redeem the time use your time well in fact the days are evil i mean i mean that ought to remind us there is a coming judgment One of these days, Jesus will return and we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So use our time well while we still have it. Verse 17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Again, continuing the idea of wisdom. We're not to live in foolishness, but instead, wisdom is, it's understanding how God's will is. Wills that we should live. Verse 18. Again, talking about how we are to imitate God. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. He contrasts two things. We could go out and like the world and, and get stoned. We can get plastered. And, and that will... Have a high for a moment. But it's a waste of time. It's not what's supposed to characterize the life of a believer. Instead, he says, not to be drunk with wine, not to fill yourself with wine, but instead, be filled with the Spirit. Of course, whenever we talk about being filled with the Spirit, we have to ask the question, well, what does that mean? (laughs) What does it mean 
to be filled with the Spirit. Um, I think what comes after this are examples of the kind of life that are filled with the Spirit. A life that's filled with the Spirit is one, the verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart. Addressing one another. We're, we're teaching one another. We're, we're speaking to... There's a teaching component in the singing. And we're not talking about just coming and singing together corporately. But everywhere we go, there's just a song in our hearts. A, a, a melody in our hearts. You know, I was talking about this text with someone earlier this week. And, and they said, you know, I wonder, did God put that there? Because so oftentimes songs are easy to remember. Maybe. You know, sometimes we learn things as children, maybe a commercial on the television that's connected to a song. You know, I wish it was an Oscar Mayer wiener, you know, something like that. And, and we remember it as adults, even if we've never heard it for, you know, 30 years. And, and that same power is there in, in, in music that when we, when, we, when we put things, Scripture to song, we can remember it. Paul tells us here to sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in our hearts to God. Giving thanks always to every, uh, for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A spirit-filled life is not one that's going to be complaining all the time. A spirit-filled life is one that is going to be a life that's giving thanks. Look at how good God is. Look at what He's done in my life this week. Giving thanks all the time, always, for what He's done. And then finally, submitting to one another out of reference for Christ. Sometimes we just want our own way, don't we? (laughs) We want our own way. We want to do things, you know, and if it's not my way, it's the highway, right? But here, Paul tells us a life that is characterized by being filled with the Spirit is one where we submit to one another. We are a a church, a Baptist church, and we have a congregational government. And in a congregational government, that's kind of, um, it means that the, the church, the, immediate, the gathered church, the members of the church are the authority. Uh, and, you know, when there's a disagreement within the church, it'd be easy to just get mad and quit going. <laughs> but, you know, Paul told us a couple chapters ago, be eager to maintain the unity of the, of the um, uh, spirit and the, and the bonds of peace. When we're submitting to one another, out of reverence for Christ, if something doesn't go our way, we trust God. And we, we stay in there. There's been a lot in this text tonight. <laughs> I probably bit off more than I can chew. I'll just confess that right now. What I want us to go, for, go from here remembering. One, because of what God has done for us in making us His own children, adopting us as sons, making us go from death into life, we are to be imitating Him. And in that imitating Him, 
We need to have a life that's not characterized by the things of the world. Sexual immorality, covetousness, greediness, all of those things. Instead, we're to have a life of purity, of, of submission to one another, of, of, uh, of singing and melody and making melody in our hearts to God and giving thanks. There's a big contrast between those two things, isn't there? Wisdom as opposed to just foolish revelry. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.